It's time for Get the Lack Scoop, a podcast bringing you all the people and stuff you should know in the game of lacrosse. We take lack seriously, but ourselves, not so much. Join hosts Big Dog and Jaybird, and the biggest names in the game. Brought to you by J. McMahon Lacrosse. That's JML, skills, mindset, and lax IQ training. Ron Doglish, the big dog, was a collegiate football and lacrosse player at Brown. He was also an assistant lacrosse coach and the executive director of the Sports Foundation. And Jay McMahon, the Jaybird, a three-time All-American midfielder at Brown. He was a captain of the U.S. Junior National Team and is the founder of JML. And joining us in the studio, Steve Grisalfi, whose collegiate lacrosse career statistics equals one goal against Dartmouth. This podcast is brought to you by Jay McMahon Lacrosse. Now that's a mouthful. So let's go with JML Lacrosse skills. Uh, Ron, JML has lacrosse in there. So just JML. Friends, get used to Jay interrupting me all the time. It's <laughs> maddening. Fine, Jay. It's JML skills, mindset, and lax IQ training, helping the next generation of cross players get to the next level. All right. So everyone, we're really excited to bring you the next episode of Get the Lack Scoop. We've got two great Division Three head coaches with us today. And Jay, I'm going to get us started by introducing our first guest who recently completing his 22nd season as the head men's lacrosse coach at his alma mater, Dickinson College, where he also serves as associate athletic director. Over the past two decades, he's built one of the top programs in all of Division Three lacrosse. And just to give you a sense of what I mean by that, in his last 10 full seasons, the Red Devils have won five Centennial Conference Championships, one of the best conferences in all of Division Three. They've earned five NCAA tournament bids and advanced to the Elite Eight on three separate occasions. And I particularly, Coach, is looking at your last two years where you've further solidified your place as an elite program, winning back-to-back -back conference championships with a two-year combined record of 36-5. and five. Wow. And this year, Coach, I know you came within a freaking heartbeat of the Final Four, losing that heartbreaker in, in overtime to Christopher Newport, the third-ranked team in the country in the quarterfinals. Sorry to have to remind you of that. I'm sorry about that. Um, but in addition to the success on the field, I know this program well, and one of the hallmarks of his Dickinson teams is also their commitment to service and community. Both the American Red Cross and the National Association of Athletic Administrators have recognized the Red Devils lacrosse program for their commitment to outreach and service. Now, prior to coaching the Red Devils, our guests started the men's lacrosse program at Marymount University in 1991 after seven seasons there. And in that conference with a new program, he won two Capital Athletic Conference Coach of the Year awards. He moved on to become the head coach at the Centennial Conference rival, Franklin and Marshall. I want to hear how that went over, Coach, with your <laughs> friends at Dickinson. Um, like balloon. And then in the fall of 2001, our guest returned to Carlisle to become the head coach at Dickinson, and he's never looked back, becoming the winningest coach in the history of the program that dates back to 1952. He's a nationally recognized leader in our sport, having served as the vice president of USILA and as treasurer of the Men's Division Coaches Committee of U.S. Lacrosse. And he was honored by his collegiate coaching peers in 2008 for his service to the college game. We are very pleased to welcome Coach Dave Webster to get the lack scoop. Dave, welcome. Awesome. Absolutely. Welcome, Coach. Thank you, guys. Great to have um, you on. We're excited. 
All right. Our next guest was named head men's lacrosse coach at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, better known as RPI, in the summer of 2018. In his first season in 2019, he led the engineers to a 12-win season and a berth into the Liberty League tournament semifinals. RPI won nine of their first 10 games and were nationally ranked for much of the season. After two COVID-shortened campaigns, the program had one of its biggest wins ever in 2022, beating RIT, then the undefeated number one ranked defending national champions. RIT would go on to repeat as national champs in 2022, with their only loss that season coming at the hands of the engineers. In the spring of 2022, RPI was rewarded with its first NCAA tournament bid since 2016 and only its second tournament appearance in the previous 13 years. After a th slow start in 2023, the engineers caught fire and were 6-1 and one in Liberty League play, finishing second in the conference and narrowly missing out on back-to-back -back NCAA tournament bids. Our guest brought a wealth of coaching experience to his role at RPI. He spent three years as the head coach at Division III Marywood University in Scranton, Pennsylvania. He went on to become an assistant coach at UMass Lowell in their first year as a Division I program and had assistant coaching stints at Lafayette, Brown, and Dartmouth. Our guest grew up in, well, Ron wrote the copy here, the great state of Maryland. Let's That's right, say Jay. It say it, Jay. Of Maryland. Say it. Say it, Jay. <laughs> Debatable. Nice long, place, he's guess. a freaking Long Islander, Webby. <laughs> in, in, incorrigible. Uh, let me finish, please, Ron. And played his collegiate lacrosse at Dickinson under the tutelage of none other than Coach Dave Webster. His Dickinson lacrosse class of 2007 graduated with the most wins over four years by any senior class in program history to that point, helping Coach Webster establish the foundation of his winning tradition. And again, it's evident that Ron wrote this next piece of copy. And perhaps most of interest to our podcast listeners, let's say middling interest. Okay, this man comes here on his own merit. Our next guest is the brother of my co-host. And again, the copy says, the big dog. Let's call him Ron Dogleash, his proper name. And we're very pleased to welcome, and the copy reads, little dog. I mean, come on. <laughs> Just the big brother little thing ever end? The truth is the truth. Welcome, Coach Scott Hackett. Competitors got to compete, you know? We're so glad to have you here, Scott. This is very exciting. Thanks so much, your. I apologize for your big brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, many have, many have over the years. All right. Well, Dave, let's you and I have a nice conversation about lacrosse, shall we? Let's go. So, Coach, we like to, you know, start all of us obviously love this game and you've been dedicated to this game. You've made it your life. You've made it your career. And we're always interested in learning where did it all start for you? When did you first get introduced to the game and where did you develop a love for those game in the early years? Well, I, I grew up in the great state of Maryland as well. Love yeah. it. Love uh, it. My mm. father was a, a boys Latin and Johns Hopkins lacrosse player. Uh, he was a high school coach at a powerhouse outside of Annapolis called Roxeter. And uh, so I had two older brothers and my fondest memories were of going to my dad's practices and shagging balls and shooting with the guys and getting on the bus and going to games. And it was just a absolute family 
uh, ordeal or experience for all of us. And that's uh, awesome. We, we felt as little, you know, second, third graders, we felt the wins and losses and the whole family experienced that. And uh, I just, those are my fondest childhood memories. And, and that's where it all began. Mm. So, so Webby, I've always loved you, but I, you know, there was always something that I couldn't tell. Now I know there's boys Latin blood in you. I'm a St. Mary's guy. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there's, there's a little something there. Intuition. You, know? you get detected. Hey, uh, so Dave, when I was doing, you know, doing a little research for this episode, I didn't know that you then went from the great state of Maryland to what of course is a well-known lacrosse powerhouse prep school in Indiana. I don't even know if I can pronounce this La Lamir. Is this right, Dave? So how the hell did you go from Maryland to Indiana for prep school and then find your way back to Dickinson? Great question. So, so my father um, was the headmaster at La Lamir and he was a school administrator and coach and got kind of the reputation for going into some places and fixing them up and moving on to the next one. And so we went out, out to Indiana when I was in eighth grade. My two older brothers were, were in high school. And so we, it, was a, it was a tough, I can remember sitting around a, a table at home and having that conversation with mom and dad about the move and having to leave lacrosse behind for a few years. And uh, we all jumped on board and it was an awesome kind of adventure for all of us. We're out there for, so I went out to eighth grade and we came back to Maryland after I had graduated. So we're out there for five years. Uh, and it was awesome. It was a special school. It was a neat opportunity for my father and for our family. We we kept up lacrosse as we could, but it wasn't a a school sport at that point there or in wow. the state in any way. Mm. Um, so we we threw around. We did what we could. We'd come back in the summers and do some things in Maryland and stuff like that. But but left it behind competitively for for five years. Picked it back up in college. Wow. Um, my That's older brother amazing. Mike who's a year ahead of me, did the same thing and played at Hopkins and uh, essentially walked on and was, was an impact player there. So uh, it, that's something that, that has shaped me in terms of, of coaching and recruiting, having that kind of experience. Uh, but, but it was awesome. Don't, no, no, no regrets there. It was really a fun adventure for all of us. Wow. And coach, how times have changed, right? That you could leave a sport for high school right. and then come back to it at a place like Dickinson. So how did you, how did you end up at Dickinson? So again, two older brothers, we, we visited colleges as kind of a family for each of them. My oldest brother went to the Naval Academy. My, my brother's a year older than me, went to Hopkins. As I said, um, I wanted to play football and, and lacrosse in, in college. Dickinson was the right opportunity. Uh, just was a great spot for me. And, and at that point, and I know we'll talk about this later, but there, there wasn't any lacrosse recruiting going on at Dickinson at that point. Yeah. It was just whoever kind of showed up with an interest and hopefully some experience or background uh, <laughs> could, could play and contribute. And, and I had an amazing experience doing that. Nice. Jay, I'm, Jay, nice. I, I'm, I am going to let you talk to my brother here, but Thank again, you. A, another thing where I knew I loved Webby, the football, lacrosse and Maryland piece. Nice. I mean, we're, we're basically, oh. he might I'm be a brother. He might be a brother of mine for all I know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm going to have to put up with it. I'll just keep moving on. Now, Scott, how about you? What are your earliest memories of getting introduced to the game? You played offense. You probably beat Ron right out of the shoot. 
Oh, absolutely. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> as I like to say, by, by the time they got to me, the fourth and youngest of the brothers, there wasn't quite the size left in the gene pool. So <laughs> I, I had to be quick. I had to be explosive, you know, to uh, escape the, uh, the big dog, if you will. Um, wrong with quick and explosive. We like that. Uh, uh, that's it. I always say, if, if I couldn't beat you in my first step, I wasn't going to beat you. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I think Webby could probably attest to that coaching me for those years. But uh, Jay, I don't know that there's one specific memory. I was really fortunate being born in Annapolis, Maryland, the great state of Maryland, um, mm. and having two of uh, my three older brothers play lacrosse that I probably had a stick in the crib pretty quickly. You, and, you did. Uh, Day one. <laughs> well, I remember uh, Scotty is a little tyke. He did always have a stick. I remember yeah, that's great. Yeah. And um, right. so you don't have a memory. It was just there. Well, like, yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, there's certainly a lot of memories, right? There's memories yeah. of watching you all, right? Play at Brown and some of the unbelievable teams that you all had and run around with my cousins on the sideline and playing trash can lacrosse, right? Um, mm -hmm. Remember going to Builder Back Day, which I don't know if it, it still exists as a little kid. And I remember my brother, Brian, buying me. There's this big, huge trailer that had all this gear and sticks and custom strung stuff. And my brother, Brian brought me, I think it was an, a Brian M1. This is going way, way back, mm -hmm. right? Uh, dyed UNC colors. I was a big Tar Heel fan uh, mm -hmm. as a little kid. And, um, you know, that was a, that was a day of a lot of fun, but yeah, just my memory is littered with lacrosse throughout my childhood. It was always a center point. It was a focal point. I, I couldn't escape it if I wanted to. Right. Right. That's great. And then how about you, as far as recruiting process and things that led you to Dickinson, what were things like for you at that time? Yeah, it had certainly changed since Webby's time, but it's changed a whole lot since I was recruited to now. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, I was trying to rack my brain and think about this. And I don't know if you remember, I think I visited late in the summer going into my senior year. I remember kind of walking out on the field with my parents and, and Webby, Coach Horn, who was one of the assistants back then. And then I remember coming up for an overnight in the fall. And I'm assuming that probably November, December, maybe even after getting accepted, committed relatively late, at least compared to how things operate these days. But I wanted to go to a small liberal arts school. I wanted to be far enough away from home that mom and dad couldn't show up unannounced, but <laughs> close enough that I could get home if I wanted to and, and be able to have the family come to the games. And I also knew I wanted to study abroad. That was important to me. And then certainly meeting Webby and his staff and getting a chance to step foot on campus. I felt in love pretty quickly that's great I, and it's Co I coach say, webster it's, I, I was hoping he was going to get around to you like maybe you yeah. had something to do i mean does he know what we're doing here i mean jesus i thought here it was going to be coach here webster we really yeah. made a this huge impact Jay's on me to ask you I mean, the question right, right, right exactly big brother back off buddy back <laughs> off stay in your lane well, well it's interesting i think that's a better process as far as the time for recruiting, because that's what it was for us. You know, you finished yeah. your junior year. We played in some, like in New York, you had these Empire State games. You played in some things. College coaches would come to that. And they would come to your season, too. Some games that you were playing during the year. And then as a senior in high school, you'd go and visit the school and meet the coaches. And I feel like you're just better prepared to make this decision. And it was your decision. You know, now... I talked to Lars and some other coaches I know, Joe Bresci, what have you, and they're meeting with the parents the whole time. And they really have to kind of single the student out a little bit to really get a feel for them because they're a lot younger. But uh, that's very interesting. Now, Dave, 
it's striking to me that Scott seems like he's in a situation similar to you right now coaching when you took over Dickinson back in 2001. And uh, he takes over an RPI program that had a solid foundation, a long history of commitment to lacrosse, but a program that is clearly aspiring for more and looking to step up in that national prominence. And now, Coach Dave, as you look back, what do you now know that you wish you could have told a younger version of yourself in those early days? And then big brother Ron's looking out for little brother Scott here because he's has in the copy, you know, what are some nuggets that Scott could probably pick up? from you, if you're willing to divulge such a thing to your competitor here. Sure. And I think Scott will agree that the Dickinson he arrived at in 2004 was much weaker than the program he inherited. Um, we, we, were, we were not good when I arrived. And Scott was part of transforming the program. We mentioned his, the impact his class had. So yeah, we're both. And coach, would you say that to the team? We're 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 not good. Did, did that ever come out? <laughs> uh, I think being honest and transparent as a coach is certainly important. Um, and I don't know how I phrased it then, but I think, I think part of the appeal to Scott and others in his class were coming in. They knew they could have an impact on building something, and that was right. very appealing and something we used in recruiting. And Scott's class certainly followed through with that. But I think looking back, what I would say to young coaches, regardless of the situation, is just uh, patience. You know, we all think when we get to a program, we can we can change things right away. And to have lasting, meaningful, genuine success takes time. And so I think I was probably impatient and a little too focused early on on results And now with some perspective and experience, I know it's a much better formula to to stay focused on on the process and just Mm -hmm. get better, you know, every day, every season. That's, I do that much better now than I did when, when I was recruiting Scott. Dave, he might've told us we sucked a few times during my career. (laughs) Memory's a little fuzzy, but yeah. Yeah. Scott, now in all seriousness, brother. I'm interested in what you remember about playing for coach Webster. And then I remember this when I went from player to coach and things where I was like, damn, Dom, damn, Dom, like my coaches. And then you become a coach and you're like, oh my God. So what maybe do you appreciate now or have taken with you about things coach Webster did then that you maybe appreciate now as a coach, then maybe you didn't appreciate when you were 18, 19 years old. Yeah, I'll tell you, there have certainly been a few times uh, that all of a sudden some things slip out of your mouth that you couldn't believe that you said because you swore that you would never be like your coach. That (laughs) moment has definitely come up for sure. But, you know, what you don't realize as a player is just how much really goes into this whole thing, right? There's so many layers to being a coach that happened behind the scenes. And as a player, you get a pretty limited glimpse of that, right? You know, Mm -hmm. in a certain sense, your coach shows up at practice and, and you roll, right? Your coach shows up at scouting report meeting and you just roll and you don't really think about all the work on the background that had to go into it to, to make it happen. But you show up and you're, you're blessed to get all this great gear and equipment and 
Well, a lot of times it's the head coach working his tail off. It's a fundraise for those things at the division three level, as well as the other levels, right? Um, mm-hmm. The administrative side of things, the compliance, all the things that aren't really all that sexy and fun, but man, do they take up a lot of time and they're sure important to your program being successful. And I don't think I have very much perspective on that as a young man, you know, playing college across, but I'm sure I'm grateful for all that Webby did for us behind the scenes to set us up for success and be able to transform us from what I I think, if I remember right, I think we had a winning season for quite a while before our class showed up. And, and then as Webby mentioned, we were fortunate to be part of that transformation. And as he also said, that was an exciting opportunity. It was a, another thing that really attracted me to Dickinson to be part of something and build it. I've always really enjoyed that process. Mm-hmm. And Scott, what are a couple of distinguishing things about Webby as a coach that kind of stand out? Uh-oh, coach, he's smirking. <laughs> This this might, this might not be good. There's a lot of avenues I could travel down here for sure. No, look, it was intense, competitive. There was a lot of fire. Winning was certainly important. The process was certainly important, but what really stands out to me that it's something that I always try to emulate in being myself, but taking as a model is Webby kept it fun. He knew how to cut through the sheet. And if guys were too tense or we were too high or too excited, he would bring in and he would say some of the most ridiculous things that some maybe (laughs) shouldn't be repeated on a podcast, but uh, you know, it it wasn't out of any malice. He knew he had a group of young men and sometimes you have to say some ridiculous things to snap them in line, right. And get them back to the moment. And so it was a lot of hard work, but it was certainly a lot of fun. That's great. Now, coach Dave, coach Dave Webster, all the coaches I've had would have this ability that Coach Scott just said that you have to bring people in and then these amazing things would come out of their mouth. And it was like, now do you write these things down beforehand or is this channeling? Are you just, you know, how does that stuff happen? Yeah, I think it's uh, one of the keys is to find that balance, I think. And no, it's not scripted. (laughs) It's in the moment, but you have to kind of get a feel, as Scott suggested, to the, the pulse of the team and what that mm-hmm. feel was, but you never lose sight of it. It's young men playing a game right? and, and just, it, it sounds simplistic, but fun is part of the equation and you right. can't lose sight of that. Right. I can remember if I could interject one quick little story. I remember being on spring break in Florida and it was a bazillion degrees and we're out there and we're practicing and, I don't know that it was necessarily our best day and guys were starting to get on each other and some good and some not good. And Webby just blows the whistle and like, doesn't call us in, but just stops. And he points up in the sky and he's like, you know, there's a buzzard or an eagle or something. He's like, fellas, heck of a good omen, heck of a good omen. And then it was like back to it. And everybody's like, what is he talking about? He just had that ability in the moment as I'm sure he still does. But it just kind of cut that tension and almost distract and deflect in some regards. And now all of a sudden we're in the band, we're like, what is wrong? Like, what is he talking about? And then next thing you know, right, you're back to having fun and playing and flowing and doing what we do out there. Nice. Now, Coach Webster, did you always aspire to be a coach growing up the son of a coach? And how did you get your start? If you could tell us that. Yeah. So as a senior at Dickinson, I had really two options professionally. One was to go to, I really enjoyed writing, sports writing. I wanted to be a, I was an editor of the school newspaper. Mm-hmm. So I was going to pursue journalism and was all set to go to Northwestern to pursue that. And so it was that or high school teaching and coaching. And kind of last minute, I went with the coaching and teaching, went to the Hun School in Princeton for two years. Mm. 
taught history, coached football, wrestling, lacrosse. Loved that. Lived in the dorm with the freshmen. Um, uh, great experience, but found my passion for coaching during those two years and left there to get into the college opportunities. Came back actually to Dickinson, coached football for the fall. And then in the spring, went down mm-hmm. to Hampton, Sydney. Ray Rostin, a legend in our game, gave me the opportunity mm-hmm. to coach with him and did that for one spring and then had an opportunity to start a program at Marymount University. Right. So was hired when I was 24 and unbelievable opportunity to start a program from scratch and just kind of found my lane at that point and just have been passionate about it ever since. That's neat. Very cool. Scott, I don't think I've really ever asked you this because I've just professionally, I've only ever known you as a coach, but I don't know that I've ever asked you like, what do you love about it? Like what drives your passion to be a coach and now be a division three head coach at a really great school that's nationally competitive. To hear the answer to that intriguing question, please tune in next week as we continue with our series. Until we meet again, here's to hoping you find the twine. We're signing off here at the Get the Lax Scoop. Thanks again so much. We will see you the next time.